Let's get geared up for startup success. Join Josh as he interviews knowledgeable guests from all corners of the entrepreneurial world and gets the answers to the questions you've been asking. Get ready to learn something new on this episode of From Idea to Done. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode. I'm here with our good friend, Anthony, from Project Phoenix. Good morning. Anthony, thanks for coming on. Or good afternoon. <laughs> what time is this going out? <laughs> it depends on what people are listening to it, I guess. Exactly. Well, good day. Yes. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your company. Yeah. So my name is Anthony Molson. I'm the CEO of Project Phoenix. And um, our company, uh, software development company, we created an instant API, an instant API engine for software developers to build, test, and publish apps, to skip the API development process, and to basically write better code faster. And for those out there who are listening, they're like, what the heck is an API? An API is the application programming interface. And, and what it does basically is it allows apps on the internet to talk to each other safely. It allows databases to talk to the public internet and back again. And, and it allows, when they were first introduced, uh, the ability for software developers to speed up uh, development of apps uh, by hundreds of hours per project uh, safely. And they're a standard of the internet, and what we wanted to do was see if we could write code that writes code, that writes these APIs automatically to skip the menial work so engineers can do more meaningful work instead. So that's what we're doing. Cool. What's what's your background? I have an art degree. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, uh, a, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far away, I was also uh, pursuing professional golf. So um, definitely two things you need for a software engineering company. Uh, absolutely. Definitely a, a pivot there, and I can relate. I've got a graphic design degree myself, so um, weird's how worlds collide. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I do use it for the pitch decks, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about uh, product creation when it comes to software, so web, mobile applications. Um, a lot of our uh, audience here is trying to figure out, well, should they write an app? Like, mm -hmm. how should they build it? What things to think about? So... Um, you know, when we approach product creation here at Codelation, we use the formula of generate a bunch of uh, ideas and assumptions, validate your ideas, assumptions against the target audience, mm -hmm. you know, make sure you're solving a real problem and that anyone, you know, someone cares about mm -hmm. what you're doing. Uh, you want to build an audience to bounce those ideas back off of. <clears throat> you want to then, you know, build your product launch and iterate from there, you know, feature development. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about how you approached the the problem for Project Phoenix. Yeah, so let's let's uh, let's start with um, understanding where this even came up with. Now we started by solving our own problem. Uh, we do custom software development. That's how we had um, started our company, generating revenue by building apps, uh, winning bids from competitors by being able to build um, better code faster with basically skipping up to a third of the entire engineering project because of that, the API development. Um, so we under, we wanted to understand, is this just something that we are going to use that's unique to us to continue growing our services development revenue? Um, you know, we did about a half million last year. We have about eight or 900,000 in our pipeline this year, and we're sunsetting that because we found out it's going to be more advantageous to us to actually um, share with uh, the whole software development industry this DevOps technology that allows them to do more meaningful work. And so we're uh, switching to subscription-based um, uh, uh, revenue stream in lieu of uh, services. Um, it's time for us to help people who kind of on paper in a business looked like us. And that means that we had to start validating, understanding who our customers would be. And uh, when we did that, we looked to, you know, folks in our network. We talked to Codelation, you know, what's your software stack look like? What's the problems that you face today? And identifying 
you know, where our sweet spot would be. And we identified that when um, software development companies and tech firms, you know, people who have internal teams, uh, when they're building new apps, when they're starting a brand new project, or they need to, you know, um, take an existing technology and then refurbish it. You know, uh, they've got the idea, the business process map as is. They need one that fits the model today, but they've already got the idea and they need new technology to, to rebuild it. That's what we found for our sweet spot. And so uh, our approach was identifying who else would use our technology? Who, what, you know, what's the shape of that customer segment? How many are there? And what's the minimum amount of work that we need to do to put our instant API engine into their hands so that they can actually start sharing with us what else they need? And so that's actually where we are today uh, as on our path to commercialization. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So your target customer would be companies like Codelation, other software development shops that want to speed up their development time, mm-hmm. get get more time back in so they can, like you said, build more meaningful features. Yeah, because when we found out, turns out that uh, um, the software development industry the, the, and all the tech firms, they need to hire, as of today, about a million and a half engineers. But there's only like a tenth of that that's even available in the market to pick from. I'm sure you're like when you're going through and you're hiring, you're like, oh, I've got to hire another engineer. Dang it, because mm-hmm. that's the hardest one to find, right? Um, this is not... This, this, the reason why it's there is because um, about half of all the businesses in the United States right now, they need that custom software developed. They need digital transformation. And, and you know, if, if for those who are listening, it's uh, you know, moving from pens and paper and spreadsheets to a, a database and a platform that's, that's built to serve the needs of the customers that these businesses um, uh, are building apps for. And we found out about half of uh, all businesses in the U.S., they have a budget for this. They have a budget. They're ready to spend the money. But they're just asking to be to get in line with other development companies. Um, I'm not sure what your pipeline looks like, but you're probably giving quotes up into like 2023, 20, 24, <laughs> right? Um, that's a good problem to have, but it also, uh, it stymies the uh, the innovation for great ideas because this is not a throw more people at it problem. This is not throw more money. It's you have to approach it and says, we need to create a behavioral change. We need to change how the process of software development um, is is conducted entirely. And so that's, that's where we started. So software development companies, um, you know, there's about 600,000 development companies, tech firms, and uh, and then uh, about 4 million or so engineers in the United States. And so those are our, our three main uh, groups at okay. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Cool. <clears throat> so you, you saw a need in the market, kind of, you know, what we term the, use the term dog fooding, right? Oh. This is something that <clears throat> you're doing already. You found a pain point. Um, how helpful do you think that was when you were validating that you were your own target customer? Oh, yeah, like uh, our own customer persona? Yeah. Oh, persona, yeah. Um, what was cool here is that not only were we our own customer, um, you know, we identify as one of the largest segments. Most software development companies actually are about our size, between, you know, three and ten engineers, uh, which was great because uh, we needed to then understand how many apps uh, would they be building for their clients each year. And we, we have uh, made an, identified an estimate of about between six and ten per year, depending on, on the size. And then you get the enterprise, and that's, that's a different beast entirely. But um, when we found that out, then we knew who is like us, who has the process that's like us, so we can find our first customers, our innovators and early adopters, the ones who closely identify to us because they're the ones who are most likely going to give us the feedback because there's such a great overlap. We'll just be having a conversation about things that we both enjoy mm-hmm. in terms of team and, and development and business uh, methodologies because we do it the way each other does it. And, and I think that's more important it's the relationship part. So yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. I think I figured it out. Absolutely. So <clears throat> being a, an agency yourself, 
identified the problem. Um, we've tried to pursue a couple products ourselves, and the struggle is always billable time versus resources going out the door. Oh, yeah. Did you find any challenges with um, being able to kind of put food on the table and also, you know, work on the product as well? <laughs> not at all. No, not a challenge. <laughs> Super easy. Uh, no. So what we actually ended up doing is um, we have uh, created a, I don't know, like an amalgamation, a, uh, uh, a business analysis process that takes the agile and lean methodologies, um, you know, ways of, you know, non-waterfall uh, based um, development, backed it all the way up and says, okay, if we're going to help our customers, building an app for them to help them solve their problems for their customers, uh, let's look at this not as a set of features that's going to go into the app. Let's first start at the outset, the 100,000-foot view, right, a business analysis. What's the problem we're solving? What's the guardrails? What's in and out of scope? Why are we doing it? What's the business use case? And then map it out, a set of business process uh, um, steps that actually identify from start to finish before you choose how you implement it. It could be done with humans. It could be done with software, automation, outsourcing, whatever it needs to, to, to get that business process. It looks like a... It's like a, a circuit, like a, you know, a grid, a circuit grid. And in the end, you can stick to that. And that's what we found is an opportunity for us to show our competency, what we're capable of in terms of understanding the organizational framework of an idea, and then uh, putting that into a set of artifacts, deliverable documents that here's what it looks like, here's what your process looks like, here's what your big vision, we pull it out of your head, put it on paper, and uh, here's how much we estimate that it would cost if we were to, to build it. Here, take these documents, go shop around, go find a software development company that you feel is a good fit for moving your idea forward. We would like it to be us. We'll use those as the framework, those artifacts to move forward. But, you know, and so to the point, we took that first piece of the process and distinctly separated it from the actual custom software development, which is also agile, um, billable materials. Uh, you only pay for what we actually worked for, and we've worked on a retainer basis. Um, it's a tough uh pull the swallow, especially if someone's staring at a $300,000 project, and they're like, well, we need $150,000 in the retainer to get started. Well, they know that bef long before we ask or send out an invoice because the business analysis is just a few grand. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we charge somewhere between $5,000 and $7,000 for a business analysis, depending on the size um, of it. And uh, because we separated it out, it allowed our customers early on to get comfortable with knowing this is fixed, but we this is how we operate. And then when they go into a software development, uh, with us, they're like, oh, well, it's just more of the same. But mm -hmm. now we're actually doing the thing. We're actually building this. We've had a, a, an opportunity to identify um, and, and choose to move forward, um, knowing all the variables ahead of time. So, so you deployed your your business analysis process on yourself. <laughs> yes. Effectively. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, the <laughs> two times we almost did not, and it's so funny because I, I'm sure anyone out there who you know in in any space. You might have a process that you lean on that you use for your customers, and then you turn around and you don't use it for yourself. And we we caught ourselves in the middle of like, whoa, we forgot about our own scoping, we forgot about our own sitebox, our own process. We have to do that stuff first. And uh, um, yeah, so needless to say, we are we are doing that. And I gotta say, it feels good because it's what we needed. Um, because we're you know we're at at the time of this podcast, you know. You know, we're, we're doing a round of fundraising, and this is what investors require. You know, this is what our stakeholders require. This is what our customers require. What are you going to do? When are you going to get it done? And what's the benefit to me? And you have to write that down before you start. 
yeah, it's it's easy as technologists just to jump in and do the thing mm-hmm. that you're good at doing <clears throat> versus taking a step back and planning. Like, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't dare put a, a pool in your backyard if you didn't have the, the designs and know where it's gonna go and how much it's gonna cost and all the stuff to it. Um, but it's so easy just to jump in and start doing. Yeah, not into the pool because it's not there yet. Of course, yeah. <laughs> not there yet. Um, yeah. yeah, and of course, you know, then then there's the, uh, is it a sand vein? Am I building on an oasis? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. what, what is it, what does the actual foundation look like? Can I even put this here in the first place? It looks no. good, but can it support it, right? No. Yeah. So a lot of the, the people we work with are non-technical founders. I don't know yeah. if that's familiar to, to your guys' agency as well. Yeah. Um, Speak a little bit to them if they're at this point in the process of trying to develop their product. There's lots of ways out there to get the software built. You can bring in a technical co-founder. You can ship this overseas to save some money. You can hire an agency. You can get an intern. How would you recommend that non-technical founder starts thinking about the actual development of their software? That's a great question. And it really comes down to... Um, gaining a better understanding of how the founder or the the key decision makers, the product owner, right, really, uh, when it comes down to it as in terms of the software development, um, who they are, what their competencies are, what they're what they like to do, right, um, and that comes out in that business analysis, you know, um, uh, the shape of the things that they gravitate towards, and then understanding those uh, those gaps, things that they need. Perhaps it's personnel, perhaps it's, you know, contracting, perhaps it's something that they can learn and do it and they want to do it on their own. Um, uh, by the time we get to that point, um, they'll know, hey, we can be that tech team for you uh, on the custom software development mm-hmm. side, right? Um, um, or we can help you find someone, you know, we can help you find a, a software development company. Uh, if you do decide to hire, um, we'd be working with them so you won't be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just guiding them through each decision and the impact of the choice that they make, and it is different each time. But if I were to give a piece of advice on um, a non-technical uh, founder or co-founder, um, someone who has an idea uh, and requires software, uh, it starts with, you know, go to the end. What, what does it look like five years from now? If you want to do this in-house, you're effectively asking and telling yourself and your team and your customers that you are a software development company. If you build it in-house, you are a software development company. If, if that is not the answer that you want uh, laid out before you in the next five years, then you outsource it. You contract for it. You find any way to have someone not on your team get it done. Uh, and that's okay mm-hmm. because there are great companies. I mean, there are people who are built specifically for that. That's, I think, a lot of correlations model. You, know, you build it, you hand it back to them, but then you're there to help them you know, as, as changes um, mm-hmm. to the software are required to help their process. But they are not a software development company, and mm-hmm. they don't want to be. So that's a good question. <clears throat> Yeah, and I, I've seen it too, where they, you know, companies out raising funds, yeah. and it's a really hard pill to swallow. Like, well, we found this great agency we want to work with. A lot of investors want to say you need to hire your own internal talent. And I, I think one of the things not a lot of people think about is, you know, we use the term appetite. Like, what's your appetite oh, to hire and train technology people? Do you know? What languages you should be writing in? Do you have a business analyst on the team who's going to manage the product? Who's your product owner? Like, there's a lot of moving roles in there yeah. as well. Um, what are some mistakes you've seen that that people try to um, when they're trying to build their software that you know they they may make? And I'll, I'll jump in with kind of one that I see a lot of 
is not understanding the product. Oh, you talk about agile. Yeah. And so one of the roles in, in agile that we use is the product owner. Yeah. It's the person that's driving the direction for the business layer mm -hmm. and helping the business analyst translate that into functional requirements so that the developers can pick it up and do their work. And <clears throat> I've seen a lot of people say, this is great, let's get going. And they don't realize how much work it is to be a product owner. <laughs> and then the project spirals, yeah. it gets paused as they try to go find a product owner and thinking that they can just hire into something like this without the understanding of how much it's gonna take. Yeah. So that, that's one thing we've seen a lot of. What, what things have you seen? Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 um, I'll kind of dovetail with that a little bit. Um, one thing that we have noticed, and you know, with while we were doing custom software development, you know, as we were building our company up to the to our point today, um, these founders they have these ideas. They're great ideas, and we get started with software development, and we meet with them every single week. We says, "Here's what we did last week. Here's the blocking issues moving forward. Here are the decisions to make this week. Here's the progress. Here's the new features. Test them." Mm -hmm. And you'd think that they would be right on it and testing it and giving you feedback right away because it's their baby. That they, this is their invention. This is, the, this is the thing that they are making sure comes into existence. And then you're like, oh, they didn't have time to, to yeah. do the testing. They didn't have time to. And I get it because they're busy doing a thousand other things. There's the financial. There's the IP. There's the you know entity structure. There's the hiring. All of the other facets of the business, this is just one of them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's the one that is actually driving all those other pieces. Um, but because there is a relationship and understanding that someone else is knows how to build it, well, we trust you. Hold on. Agile requires communication. Agile requires that you have explicit sign-off. Um, and look what on said, um, a company who does not have a technical founder is going to be completely reliant on both trying to understand what that process is as well as learning it and using it because they have to be a part of that product owner process. Uh, that's a challenge. Um, it's, it's a good problem to have um, to get that far, but it, it's still a challenge. And um, I would say if you had to hire someone internally, that it'd be someone who understands that. They don't have to be an engineer. Someone that understands the agile process mm -hmm. uh, especially from software so it's it's a lot of mental energy to to plan the process and I don't know how many times that you put a feature and a feature on a card so like we use Trello for our, our PM tools yep um, we use Jira mm -hmm. okay yeah same same yep same horse different color yeah exactly um, <clears throat> we put our, our acceptance criteria our breakdown everything that's gonna happen yeah. and there's still so much room for interpretation no matter how detailed you can make that. Mm -hmm. And so just really understanding what are the what are the business requirements? Because if we leave a feature that we're going to implement a search function, is it an autocomplete search? Is it I type it in, I hit enter, and it goes to a new page? Like that that's where the thought process needs to come in. Or mm -hmm. it's like, honestly, I don't care as long as I get search results back, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh and that's something for us that uh, being able to lean on that business process, it says, all right, uh, the, the business process step here is that we need to have results presented and how that's done happens to be the search function. Mm -hmm. uh, the requirements of what the search results are are going to drive the requirements of how this searching is done. Is it a drop-down list? Is it uh, radio buttons? Is it checkboxes? Is it a free-form search? And what is the entities that it's searching against? Uh, the requirements will be driven by the um, output that is required for the customer or the step in that process that's going to consume 
um, whatever that output is. And so mm-hmm. for us, we drive it from from you know what was the requirement back into it, um, and that way we can stay at least for us that we we can stay lean or agile in terms of only write down what you absolutely need, and that comes down to assigning the task to and building out the requirements in that task uh, depending on who you assign it to. Engineer A has a different type of interpretation than engineer Mm B. We have an engineer on our staff that I can be like, do a thing, and we write a task, no description, and he does it perfectly. We have another one was like, well, you weren't clear enough, and it's like two paragraphs, and that's okay. But we understand how we have to uh, operate the human side of uh, getting the business requirements uh, finished. There's a video out there that we like to show to clients of uh, a dad and his kids, Mm. and it's make a peanut butter sandwich. Oh, dude, that's awesome. My kiddos, uh, they actually had to teach um, the other kids in the class how to make a peanut butter sandwich. This is awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it down, the, the link to the video in the show notes here. But it's um, it's teaching them how to understand direction and instructions and requirements. And so it's, you know, uh, spread some peanut butter on the, on the bread. And it's like, well, the peanut butter is not open. So they spread, they he rolls the peanut butter jar on the bread. Oh, yeah, uh, like, a, closed, a closed bag a clo- of bread. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So it's... <laughs> It's like, holy smokes, there's so much stuff to think about. And I think I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get themselves in trouble of, I trust you, just go build it. It's like, if we go into a cave and build this thing, you're going to waste all your money and realize this is not what you wanted. <laughs> Dude, it's like a, um, whenever I, I, I go get a haircut, um, you know, I'll just, I'll just head down like to, to MJ Capelli and I'll just, I'll, I'll sit down in the chair and I often joke with them. Uh, I'll close my eyes. I said, I'm going to close my eyes and you just make me look the best version of what you think. But I'll pull out a picture. This is what my hair looked like last time. And I like it this way. Get close. <laughs> I take off my glasses. I close my eyes. And when yeah. I'm done, I get something that's close. So I've given them a scope, a framework, mm-hmm. what I, what's in and out of scope. And then I let them at that point, I trust them with their process. And then the next time I'm coming for a haircut, I look for that person again. Oh. Do the same thing. It's always easier the second time, and that's a term that you'll hear a lot in the technical world. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, you talked about um, kind of getting your product up and going. You're in a fundraising mode. How do you recommend entrepreneurs look at, you know, we use the term minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a term that we we use as well. I can't remember who it's from, um, but SLC, simple, lovable, and complete. Oh, nice. Prototyping is another word out there. Yeah. Um, how far do you recommend a startup take their concept of an MVP? Like, and does that does that depend upon, you know, are they raising money or like what's the purpose of the MVP? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Again, business requirements. So, what what is the minimum digestible product or service that you are providing to your customers? Uh, what are they willing to do to accept? as a completed function to serve their business needs. What, what problem are you solving and how few features do you need to implement and enable in order to service their needs? And so actually, I, it's crazy. I, I, uh, I uh, did a guest lecture this morning at uh, uh, NDSU, uh, North Dakota State University, um, to a, a bunch of mechanical engineers, entrepreneur. And uh, one of the questions that was asked was, uh, you know, I've got this product and you know, the big challenge we face, I'm like, we're like 80 or 90% done. Like, when can I start sharing it? I was like, well, the short answer is you should have started sharing it when you were 60% done. That thing can be ugly as sin. You find one person that is willing to just take this thing and if it helps them, 
then you can ask them all the questions. Well, yeah. What would you do next? How does it improve? What wasn't useful? A lot of great ideas just wait way too long. The, the worst thing that can happen is that you engineer or build a, a product or a feature that, that actually doesn't serve anyone's needs. You've just wasted everyone's time. That's the worst thing that you can do. And so get it out there as early as possible. Mm -hmm. it, like, uh, oh my God, you, you don't even really need an interface. Uh, sometimes an MVP is showing a couple of mock-ups. Yep. Sometimes it requires a full IP, right? But not, not usually. Yeah, uh, and I, I'd even push that further. I'd say ninety percent ago, you should have been sharing it. With <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah, you know? no, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and to that to that point. Yep. Yes, yep, exactly. But yeah, it's it's so easy to go into a cave and develop something, mm -hmm. and then try to market it after the fact. It's it, this needs to see the light of air. You yeah. need you need your stakeholders. You need your customers. You need feedback on it. Because yeah. for myself, when I've done that in the past and develop in a bubble, and then I show it to people, and they're like, I don't really get it. You get defensive. Uh -huh. Like, how can you not get it? I've spent the last nine months of my life on this. <laughs> well, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if you did it this way, it makes sense. Yeah. The bigger batch you uh, go into that process, you know, the, before you uh, iterate and, sh and share and, and uh, show new features, the harder it is to digest. And take it, you, you get it too. Like, I graduated with an art degree. How did I graduate with an art degree? Critiques. Ooh. We didn't get A's and B's and C's and S's. We got P and F. Pass, fail. Basically, you get up, you showed your art, and it was either something they understood or you had to explain it until people understood or you went back to the drawing board quite literally uh, to try again to, to present your idea or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, to further the point about the, you know, when should you show the product, what's the MVP? I, uh, the, the second half of that is, have you solved, have you, why did you create this? Were you solving your own problem? And in, in our case it was. And so you can go a little further because worst case scenario, you have made your life better because you have done a technology or a product or service that makes your life the quality us just a little bit better mm -hmm. for those around you and if other people buy on too then now you have a business yep. and that's okay sometimes it's not the case and you'll have to you know validate earlier but if you're solving your own problem you can afford to go 50 60 percent in yeah and to, just to echo that like if you're not solving a problem that you know somebody <laughs> on your team better know that industry really well or yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna be in big trouble <laughs> if you don't have a sub subject matter expert you know an sme mm -hmm. um you need to find one, and I guess I, that goes all the way back to one of the first questions you asked here on, on this uh, on the podcast is, you know, um, technical founder, non-technical founders. What do you need? You know, how, find a subject matter expert because mm -hmm. either then they can tell you whether or not you need to bring someone on, or maybe they have the competency to be able to, you know, help uh, fill in the gaps um, all, all along the way. Find the subject matter expert for the output, not the technology that goes into it. Implementation Absolutely. is the second choice, not the first. Yeah, yeah, it's the the business layer drives the technology, yes. right? It's, yeah. Um, I always joke like building this thing is the easy part. It's still really, really hard. Oh my god! But getting someone to understand what you're doing through a website that they've never talked to you, to put a credit card on file, to buy the thing, and then when that renewal comes, to renew it mm -hmm. because they found enough value in it. Yes. Like. That's the difficult thing. Especially from subscription-based stuff, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, lots of studies have shown, like, the average subscription is, like, you know, three years. You know, people people will buy into something that have absolutely, they are not used. I, I'm guilty of that. We all are. Mm -hmm. um, but to be able to go beyond that threshold, that three, go to the fourth year, the fifth year, at that point, they probably have something to say about your technology, too. Mm -hmm. Get them in a, you know, in a room with you. Get them on a microphone. Let them share why they do mm -hmm. what they do. Because then they're going to help identify other people who are not just sitting around doing a passive subscription. You don't want passive clients. You want people who are using the thing, helping it propel uh, the industry forward or whatever the product is, right? So. Yeah. 
Yeah, and another thing that just popped in my head, I don't know how many people have said, well, their software looks terrible. I can make it <laughs> way better. It was like, who cares? Does it solve a problem? Yep. Like, they can make their stuff pretty, too. So if you're a Me Too product yep. or agency, like, you're, you're not unique enough, and there's enough software out there in 2022 to, you know, choke a cow. Like, you, <laughs> you, you don't need more software that's not solving a unique problem or a unique angle to yep, it. Yep. So. Yep. Move out of the way, right? Yep. Um, the, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny to say that, that like, in our particular case, um, I, I don't know if you've talked about it on other podcasters, you know, uh, the Red Ocean, Blue Ocean strategies, right? Um, we're entering a market where we have effectively one direct competitor. Um, they're an 800-pound gorilla, right? They raised a $100 million Series C. They've got a great go-to-market strategy. They've got a great product. Um, they do a good job, but they are the only ones really out there right now. And it's important to have competitors. And if you have someone that has come before you, they're the first to market, and you can basically use their money on their terms to identify all of the mistakes that they have made and understand where your differentiators are. Mm-hmm. Now, in a red, you know, in a red, there's a lot of competitors and not a lot of differentiators. Now you have to look to the business later. What are those unique pieces? Yep. You know, they're going to come to you because you responded in 20 minutes rather than 20 days, right? Yep. Sometimes the product can be exactly the same, and that's okay. So if you want to build a better, go for it. Just know what you're getting yourself into and how you're going to differentiate is probably the humans yep. more so than the product itself. Yeah, no, that, that's a that's a good point to make. And, you know, I think in your space, of you've got one big competitor, <laughs> but you've got apathy of, like, well, we're just going to go build, build our own API. Oh, gosh, another one is... Um, uh, the sunk cost, you know, which, you know, sunk cost fallacy, if, if yep. people, you know, follow that on. Um, uh, I have, we have talked to companies and tech firms who have, you know, spent two, three, four, not months, years building an API. Their product line is an API. Mm-hmm. People buy companies because of the API they developed. And it took years to walk in and says, well, now we have a technology that can do it in 30 seconds. We have a technology that can do this in five seconds. And they're like, oh, what you're basically asking them to do is be okay with the last five years of their life, uh, and, and it's that's the biggest challenge that we're going to face as we cause we're changing the behavior uh, of how projects are developed. And it didn't exist before, mm-hmm. so don't feel bad. It exists now. Do you want to spend another five years doing another API? Are you sure? Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's it's tough, right? Yep. And there are other partial competitors, you know, and there are other solutions. And of course, the biggest competitor is not doing anything at all. <laughs> That's okay, too. Changing behavior is hard. It it is. It is. Having a few early adopters, uh, people who can show why it was so awesome, people who know how to rally, uh, that's really important. And I think think one of the podcasts, one of the steps is give your allies, right? These are the people who are going to shout out the rooftops on your behalf because they can't help it. Sometimes, you know, it escapes lips and they're like, this is awesome. I mean, this is pretty cool. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on today. Sure. Uh, how can our audience learn more about you? Uh, super. That is a great question. So uh, projectphoenix.io, uh, we are just getting started with commercialization. Uh, if you are a software developer or a software development company out there or a tech firm, um, you understand a little bit about databases, you know a little bit about APIs, uh, love to have a conversation. Really just understanding how we can serve your needs on your next project, how our DevOps tool, how Devi, uh, D-E-V-I-I, uh, can actually help you move forward faster um, and basically make it so that your product sees the light and services the needs of the industry the way it should. Awesome. Thanks so much. Much obliged. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of From Idea to Done. 
If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it, and we'll catch you in the next episode.